We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. It is 2023. Well, it's not 2023 when I'm recording this. I know when you listen to this, it will be 2023. And I am excited, very excited for the start of a new year. Um, I'm one of those people that, you know, really looks forward to uh, setting new goals, getting a, a fresh start, and not just that, you know, New Year's resolution bullshit. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't, I don't really believe in setting a New Year's resolution. I believe in, you know, really planning out and setting goals that you're going to stretch yourself. They're difficult goals, but you're going to try to hit them. You're going to put systems and, uh, you know, some steps in place to achieve your goals. And with at Lions of Liberty here with, uh, of course, Brian McWilliams, my colleague here at Lions, we are, are putting some goals in place. We are growing our audience. We are going to massively grow our audience this year, and we're starting to do that. In the second part of January, we'll be advertising this pod- podcast across multiple platforms in order to grow this thing and blow this thing up. And I mean, of course, we love the listeners and the reach we have right now, but the more reach we get, the bigger uh, you know download numbers we have, uh, it means the more we'll be able to do with this show. Of course, you can support that directly, you can, you can support us directly by joining our Lions of Liberty Pride. And not only do you get to give us some money financially to help with that goal, but we're also going to give you bonus content along with that. You'll get some bonus content every single week. Brian has a, a daily show, a quick five-minute show that he does almost every weekday morning. And uh, we have a show called Degenerate Gamblers where we talk about sports and other stuff, trending in culture and the news, uh, as well as telling you know, some good funny stories about our daily lives. And uh, we have a conspiracy show, conspiracy show, conspiracy secrets. <laughs> we just changed the name. It's called Secrets, Lies, and Cover-Ups. And, you know, we need, we're due for another one of those. That should be about every month, every six weeks. Um, we'll get that more regular in 2023. And yeah, who knows what else we're going to do? Of course, we have my show on Mondays, Brian's uh, Mean Age Daydream on Wednesdays, and then a show Almost every single Friday, unless there's a holiday or some other special occasion, you'll get a show every Friday. And uh, yeah, we're going to keep on going right into and through 2023. And I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, you will choose to become a part of it. And with that being said, I want to get us kicked off into this year talking about really ways to prepare for you know potential... How, you know, attacks on the, the power grid, losing power for time. We saw what just happened in Buffalo a couple of weeks ago with that terrible snowstorm and cold front that came through and all of those people dying and as individuals not being prepared. And on finding freedom, it's not just about making money or about our spiritual health or about, um, you know, our physical health. 
It's also about being prepared as individuals, as families and communities to be able to stand up and um, protect ourselves to survive if something does happen, to band together with our neighbors and, you know, not only survive, but thrive if something, um, you know, does happen. Obviously, we don't want that to happen, but we can't be reliant on the government or whomever to come in and save us if uh, a natural disaster or some sort of other thing strikes. So without any farther delay, I've been talking for a while. I'm excited for this episode, excited for 2023. Let's get into today's show. All right, we're live to the Lions of Liberty Pride, and I am joined here today by Brian Searcy. Brian is a retired United States Air Force colonel. He's the founder and CEO of the Paratus Group, where he uses his decades-tested and decorated senior leadership and military experience to solve the need for relevant and effective principles in situational awareness and leadership. He's also a best-selling author, with his book, Prepare for the Real World, The World is Not a Safe Place, where he provides training methodologies and programs for the learning of situational awareness. I wanted to bring Brian on because everything happening in the world with these different attacks on the on the power grid, um, with just preparedness in general, with the uncertainty we have in our world with supply chains. Brian, welcome to Finding Freedom. John, uh, Merry Christmas, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, and yeah, thanks for coming on in the uh, this weird time that we're in now between Christmas and New Year's where people don't really know what day it is or <laughs> what's happening, but I uh, appreciate you setting some time aside to, uh, to sit down and talk about this important stuff. Um, before we get into talking about really your expertise... Uh, maybe probably good to start with you personally to give your to give my audience a little bit of background on you and uh, what you're all about. Yeah, so 23 years in the Air Force. I came in the Air Force in 1987 and 1988 graduated from uh, undergraduate navigator training at Mather Air Force Base and went and flew AWACS. From there, went to J Stars. Um, over then, the, about the next 15 years, I was a squadron commander, had two tours at the Pentagon, was a group commander, and then I retired as the active duty wing, uh, wing commander at Robbins Air Force Base. When I retired, I did what a lot of retired senior officers do, and I went to work for a defense contractor, but after about 18 months, realized that wasn't really for me. So I helped my wife build her um, apparel, uh, screen, apparel screen printing company, which is doing amazing, by the way. And then I started uh, doing um, public speaking, uh, keynote speaking on leadership and those types of things. And when the Parkland shooting ha- happened, not long after that, I got together with about 14 other retired military and law enforcement just because we were just, how do we stop these, this from happening? And we basically realized that for years we've been talking about symptoms and not dealing with the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, uh, in 2000, the end of 2019, I, I broke off from a few of those guys who really just wanted to do the active shooter training my folk, and that's about what you do if you have to respond to an active shooter training. I wanted to focus on how do we prevent active shooter events from happening? How can we prevent them from happening? And then right after I founded the Paradis Group, I had a, a God moment where I realized that it's not just preventing active shooting, it's preventing all the threats that are out there today. And that the and what the key to that is, is to have the God, and use the God-given gift of situational awareness the 10 critical personal skills that you need to have situation awareness and then also to be successful in life. And 
have then the desire to take responsibility for your own safety and then the safety of your community. And that's what I've now been focused on since 2020. Uh, I speak around the country on that, introducing what is situational awareness, what are all of the threats that we face, how do we prevent them from happening, and, and what are the 10 critical skills. And then at the Protus Group, we have a, a program that's a year long because we're all about the development of habits and behaviors by practicing a process instead of the traditional training, which hasn't solved anything for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot to, lot to unpack, a lot to talk about there. I want to dig in first and just talk about situational awareness and what that means. Um, you know, w- w- what does it mean to, I, I, I know you talk about, you know, when you're, when you're walking down the street, putting your phone away and looking around and really understanding, you know, the situation you're in, understanding your surroundings, and then being able to contrast that, you know, being able to be aware of when, when something is off, when something d- doesn't seem right. So can you talk a little bit about how, how that works and how, how you advise people to really take account for their surroundings? Yeah, so situational awareness has a number of components, but like and why we've developed our programs the way that we have, it's, it's actually a process. It's something that you have to learn and develop the habits and the behaviors. You know, if you just look at situation awareness and people think it's just being self-aware and being perceptive and knowing what's going on around you. You know, there are a lot of people that actually do that. Um, they can they get that hair in the back of the neck or they get that gut feeling about that something isn't right. But then because of the normalcy bias or because they haven't thought about what to do in that situation and they don't know what they're capable of doing, oftentimes they don't do anything. And our focus is to learn and develop that, that skill of situational awareness, the habits and the mindsets. But you have to you use the process that we have in our program so that you are, are on a regular basis thinking about how can I prevent these things from happening? If I see something happening, then what do I do about it so you can actually take an action and prevent it from happening? So, so what, what are some of those steps? Um, can you give us an example of, of, of how that would play out in, in a real life scenario? Yeah. So there's a process in the air force called the OODA loop. It's observe, orient, decide, and act. And when I was a squadron commander, my squadron was responsible for the operation of the air war at the Kayak in Qatar. Um, so we were responsible for all of the, the air, air assets that were in Afghanistan and Iraq. And we consistently practiced and used the OODA loop. We would observe what's going on. We would then orient ourselves and and the forces that we had available based on what the other people, what the bad people were doing, or if our airplanes were breaking or we couldn't refuel them, all these things that are going on. And then we would have to make decisions and then we would have to act. So at the Paradis Group, we've taken the OODA loop that's been around since the Vietnam War and the Air Force practices it on a regular basis into a five-step process. It's identify, assess, predict, decide, and act. See, one of the things I got frustrated about when we were trying to teach people how to do active shooter uh, response Mm -hmm. is that when people don't see something coming and they don't know what they're capable of doing, they're not able to do anything. We can tell them this is what you should do, but if they don't have that ability, we basically set them up for failure. When you teach somebody how to use a tool to prevent something from happening, that's how we that we empower them to be successful. So identify, you stop, look, and listen any, anywhere you go. Um, so for example, I use 
fueling at the gas station. We're seeing attacks in gas mm-hmm. stations on a rise across the United States. I think you've you've probably seen that on the news as well, just like we've seen in in the subways and those types of things. So when I pull into a gas station, and this is what my wife does, and this is what everybody learns that takes our program. When you pull in, you're not on your phone, you're not goofing off, you're looking around and you're looking to orient yourself so that you'll have a good view of what's going on. And then you identify, is there anything here today that I'm concerned about? No? Okay. Then you go to the next step after identify, which is assess. Um, Identify, assess. So like I said, I'm going to park my car where it's not in a dark area. I'm going to park my car where, especially if I'm a woman or something, but there's other people around me. When I get out of my car, I leave my car door open and I pay attention before I even start the process of uh, putting my credit card in. I'm paying attention to what's going on around me, making sure that's nothing setting off the hair on the back of my neck or my gut feeling. So you identify, assess, and then you predict. So if anything happened today, if somebody came up and were starting to come up and wanted to attack me or rob me or whatever, I think about what would I do? Are there other people mm-hmm. around? I leave my car, my truck door open because if I need to, I'm going to get in my truck, lock the car, lock the truck door. And if I have to, even if I'm filling up my, my car, I'm going to start the car and drive away if the threat is, is something that I can't handle on my own. So you're thinking about what you would do in that situation. And then for me, I'm not just thinking about what I would do for my own safety or if my family's with me for my family's safety. I'm paying attention to other people that are in the, in the gas station that are putting fuel in their vehicle, making sure that I can, if, if, if I feel or see anything happening, if I get that hair on the back of my neck or a gut feeling that something might happen to them, I then think about what I would do to keep them safe, to prevent something bad happening to them. So those are the three steps that we practice all the time. Then the next step is respond. So if something does set off the hair on the back of my neck or my gut feeling, and I've already thought through what I would do, now I start to take action. And then if I absolutely have to act to defend myself or run away or get in my truck and drive off, that's the final step. So it's identify, assess, predict, decide, and act. Yeah, it makes sense. And I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, some of those things I do and some of them I don't. I think it's interesting that the leaving your car door open. At first when you said that, I was thinking, why would you leave your car door open? Somebody could jump in your car. Um but if you have the keys, if they jump in your car, what are they going to do? They'll just be jumping in your car, and you're, you're still really in, in control of the situation, I guess. But, yeah, if, if you got to make a well, quick getaway. Yeah. Well, the key here is that you are practicing situation awareness, and you're not standing there on your phone. You're not, you know, not paying attention. You're consistently looking around. And if there is somebody walking up that is looking to do you harm, we have mm-hmm. that God-given gift where you're going to get that hair on the back of the neck of the, or that gut feeling. So I have already thought through situations if it's if it's something that I don't think I can handle. I or and this is especially what I all my daughters and my wife are trained to do. If somebody a man is coming up or some a group of men are coming up, I would much rather you stop what you're doing, get in your truck and drive get in the car and drive off than to think you could deal with it. Uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that we consistently hammer home in our program is when you get that feeling that something isn't right, you've got to do something about it. So mm-hmm. many people become victims because even though they got that hair on the back of the neck or got gut feeling that it wasn't right, they didn't do anything about it. Um, I'd much, I've, and I've been asked numerous times, don't you think that's being paranoid? I've made plenty of decisions in the Air Force where I had that gut feeling or the hair on the back of my neck that where nothing ended up happening and maybe at times had a little bit of egg on my face 
but I also don't know how many times I trusted that gut feeling and I kept somebody, an aircraft or, or something bad from happening. And, and that's what we talk about. We don't want people to have regrets. We don't want people to have uh, the, I wish I would have done this because I've talked to a lot of parents whose kids have been human trafficked or have committed or attempted suicide. And some of the biggest things that they have is anger and regret that they didn't trust what they saw and they didn't do anything about it. Yeah, there's something um, innate in humans where even when we, we do start to get that gut feeling, we start to convince ourselves that those feelings, you know, should be ignored or, or, or to suppress them. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think that's great advice. I, I did want to touch. Yeah, that's, uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's the normalcy bias, and yeah. seventy-five to eighty percent of the time, that's what people do. They rationalize that it's not what I think it is. Mm-hmm. I did want to come back to, to school shootings for a minute. You said you were involved um, after uh, the, the the Parkland shooting. I, I think you said with, with a group uh, that you know got more focused on the response, and, and you were more targeting um, so, sort of the, the the root causes. And, and maybe maybe I'm not understanding that correctly. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because because I think school shootings so much of at least what what the response is from my from what I see from you know what my local school district does it's almost fully centered around um, just responding to it responding to it rather than preventing or you know giving people the, the tools they need in order to combat it so can you talk a little bit more about um, your ideas around schools preventing school shootings yeah so when they're empowered with situation awareness and, and a process and they so that mm-hmm. means that they keep their doors, the, the school door is locked. People are walking around. They make sure that they have the badge. They make sure that, that they've gone through the process to be in the school. They pay attention to the behavior of their students. They pay attention to the behavior of parents. They pay attention to the behavior of their, their fellow uh, teachers and administrators. That's where you get those clues of whether something bad might happen since most school shootings are, have been a disgruntled parent, employee, or, or student. And then the other thing that when you have situation awareness and you look to identify problems and not symptoms would be a bullying example. We know that uh, a number of high school students particularly have had a major rise in suicide ideation because of bullying. And they have also led to potentially being active shooters because of that bullying. And what happens is teachers and parents will potentially see that bullying behavior And then what they do is they potentially punish the person doing the bullying, but the person being bullied is usually the one that ends up being the active shooter because nobody does anything to take care of the emotional stress that they have been under. And you can't identify all these things and provide the help that these people need without situational awareness. And then finally, the prevention piece ties directly into how do you respond? Uh, for about two and a half years, I did. I went into schools and I did assessments and I wrote emergency plans. Um, I helped them go through scenarios on what they should do if there's an active shooter. And the problem with that is that the plan sit on a shelf. Um, the training, no matter how good it is, within a week or two weeks, because we're telling them what they should do instead of them figuring out what they should do for themselves, they forget most of that. Mm-hmm. So they're not actually prepared to deal with those types of situations. So when you prepare somebody to prevent something from happening with the pro- a process like we have, you automatically train them 
for them to be able to know what they need to do to be able to respond to it, to a situation, whether it's an active shooter or somebody talking about committing suicide, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. No, I think, I think that's a hundred percent spot on there. I, I do want to pivot here and start to talk about these attacks we've seen on the power grid, which I, I think they're not being talked about enough in the media. You're you're barely hearing about it. There were, I think, two separate attacks in North Carolina. Maybe that was a month or six weeks ago. I'm not sure on timing. And then in Oregon, within the last uh, week or two weeks, there was at least, I think, at least two on uh, on different stations. Um, so can you talk about that a little bit? How uh, how sophisticated have these attacks been? I mean, how worried should we be? Well, let's talk about the worried first. Um, mm. Most people take for granted the fact that pretty much everything that they that they rely on in their lives today requires electricity, whether it's heat, whether it's uh, air conditioning, um, whether it is banking, whether it's putting gas in your vehicle, whether it's going to the grocery store, um, the sanitation that all of our municipalities provide requires electricity. So if electricity goes out for an extended period of time, you don't have sanitation. Um, so pretty much everything that we need requires electricity and we we become dependent on it. And people today don't know how to take responsibility for themselves when they lose these things. They expect there to be water. They expect to be able to um, take a shower. They expect to be able to turn on their oven. They expect all of these things because it's it's the amazing, you know, that we have all these things. So what we talk about when it comes to preparation, and I don't know how to solve the problem to make our substations more safe because they are very, mm-hmm. very vulnerable. Most of the time they're out in the middle of a, of a city or of a, a community. There might be a fence around them. Um, but bullets and bombs and, and explosives can can do a lot to those things. They've got cameras, but cameras, so I'm sorry to say, are a forensic tool. They do very little to prevent anything from ever happening. Uh, so right now, our, our uh, substations are very, very vulnerable. And our grid is not the strongest <laughs> that it could potentially be uh, across our country. Um and that is not really, like I said, the area that I'm focusing on when I'm talking about these types mm-hmm. of things, other than when I'm out and about, I have situation awareness. If I'm driving by a substation and I see some activity that that sets off that hair of the back of the, my neck or a gut feeling, I know what I would do uh, in that case to potentially get emergency responders there to potentially stop a, something bad from happening. And again, I would much rather overreact than to drive by, say that doesn't look right. And the next day, find out that there was an attack on a substation, and mm-hmm. now I know I know I don't have any power in my home. So um, that so that's one side of it. The other side of it, though, is our personal preparation. Um, Vince Flynn wrote a great book where there was a somebody got paid a lot of money who was in was a worked for an electric company <clears throat> who basically took the, the grids down across the United States. So there was there was no power in the United States. And within a week, basically, society had deteriorated. People were killing each other for food. There were riots. Um, it was crazy. So what we talk about at the Protest Group when in just overall preparation is, if you were to lose electricity for two or three weeks, are you prepared for that? What would you do? And then it's different for everybody, it, depending on where you live, uh, depending on what your skills are, 
Um, so here at our house, we have food that's available. We have a way to cook that food. We have money in the safe. Uh, we have extra water. Uh, we have extra fuel. So for that two or three weeks, and then if it goes past that, and we have a bunch of people that aren't prepared, unfortunately, I'd be afraid that we would have a scenario like what what was in Vince Flynn's book. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm fearful that I'm not prepared after seeing this. It's been a wake-up call for me, but e- even more so, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit prepared. I think the, the vast majority of the public isn't prepared at all, and, and we, we kind of see this play out if we just look recently what's happened in the past you know, week here in, uh, in Buffalo, New York with this, with this snowstorm and this you know, horrible um, cold temperatures that came through with the wind. And I think a lot of people have been conditioned to think that, you know, oh, if the power goes out or, you know, if I'm stranded, um, someone's going to come save me. Someone's going to come help me. They're not just going to, you know, leave me here. And the truth of the matter is, in these situations, no one's coming to help you, right? Um, So what types of things, some, you know, easy things should people be doing you, you, you talked about having food to eat, way to cook food, um, have, have fuel. What, what, what are some other things that really everybody should be doing um, to be prepared for a situation if they're going to lose power? Well, and that's why we say at the Produce Group in our programs that every family, every individual has to figure that out because we all have different skills um, and, and then the desire to learn those skills. And then the other thing that I would say is, and this is something that over the last 30 years, our, our culture has totally changed. It used to be that if something like this were to happen, you and all of your neighbors would band together and I would have certain skills and I'd have another neighbor that had certain skills and another neighbor that had certain skills. So combined, we all were, would be able to do the things that would be necessary to be able to deal with and and be able to respond to whatever that event was. Today, unfortunately, because people are used to flipping a switch and having the light, they're used to dialing their phone and having Uber Eats deliver their food. Um, they are not prepared to be their own first responder, to take responsibility for their own safety and the safety of their families. We, to your point, we're, we, we dial 911 and we expect an emergency responder to come no matter what the problem is, instead of having thought through, okay, if, if something happens, how can, how can I potentially prevent it from happening or how can I potentially deal with it? And I, we believe at the Protest Group, a big part of that is because people haven't developed the 10 critical personal skills that they need. So we're so used to being able to just look it up online. We don't have to think critically anymore. We don't have to listen effectively. We don't have to make decisions. Um, we don't have to have empathy or humility. We don't have to know how to, how to communicate. You know, we don't have to be perceptive and understand that there's different perspectives. And because we don't practice those skills and we don't practice situational awareness, we just expect somebody else to do it and we're not able to take responsibility for ourselves. So Mm -hmm. when I talk to individuals, you know, if, you know, they have some play, if here where I am, I actually am very close to two of my daughters, actually three of my daughters, my mother and father-in-law, my brother and sister-in-law. So we could easily get to each other's homes and help each other out. And each of us do have different skills, but I've even thought through how that process would be and what skills that I, I, you know, could rely on them if necessary. And the fact that my mother and father-in-law are probably going to need some help. So I'm going to need to not only take care of my family, but help take care of them. It's 
and that that's why the point is there's so many different inputs that go into this. Your capabilities have to be part of what that is. And one of the things that we do in our program is we teach people through the development of being self-aware, what are you capable of doing? And if there's something that else that you want to be able to do, then go get trained on that. Go learn how to do that. Add that to your toolkit um, and then make sure you have the necessary resources to be able to do what it is that you said that you're going to do. Um, and that's when it all ties together. One of the biggest frustrations I get is when somebody hands 50 people in a room in a situation, this is what you're supposed to do, but only five of those people are actually prepared to do it. The other 45 people have no idea what you're talking about and you just set them up for failure. That's why, like I said, in our program, everybody figures out for themselves through the, through the development of this process, mm -hmm. what they would do and, and how they can protect themselves and their family. Well, I mean, I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. You know, I, I obviously I had you on the show because I, I wanted you to talk to my audience, but um, I'd kind of like you to to speak to and convince people why they need to be, you know, going through these steps, why they need to be um, prepared and aware of these, you know, these situations are a real possibility. I mean, we look at, uh, you know, how, how fragile the, the supply chain has become, you know, there's tensions with China, there's tensions with, with Russia, um, all, all kinds of global issues right now, really unprecedented stuff that I thought I'd never see in my lifetime has played out in the past um, several years. So are, am, I, am I way off base or are we really, are we at a point that we could really lose our power grid for, you know, three, four weeks? Is that something that's, that's out of the question or what do you think about that? Well, I certainly hope it isn't. Um, but we've had a massive influx of people that have come across our Southern border and we have no idea who a lot of those people are. Um, one of the things that I'm grateful for is the fact that terrorists have not realized how susceptible our, our electric grid is. They haven't realized how susceptible a number of other areas are. For example, active shooting events. They do an active shooting event in one location. They draw in, and I'm sure you've seen every single one, every single emergency responder within a 50-mile radius comes in, and then they set off a second device. They, are, they were smart enough to do that in Afghanistan and Iraq but they haven't done that here yet. Um, you know, we, we're seeing people being attacked in subway stations for no reason. And that's a big part of our program because if I'm paying attention and I'm seeing somebody that's not paying attention and I can then do something about that person that is going up to that individual. So we all as community start to take responsibility back for our, for our, uh, our safety. Now that's how we're going to make a difference. Um, I talk more and more in our programs about how if hundreds of people learn and develop this skill, and it goes back to what I said, how it was 30, 40 years ago, when we as communities start taking back responsibility for our safety, when we no longer look like the easy victim, and that's the big, a big part of, of the answer to your question, when we're walking down the street and we're on our phone, we're not paying attention, we are the easy target for the predator, no matter what it is, whether it's just somebody that wants to knock you out, wants to rob you, wants to assault you, wants to kidnap you, whatever the case may be. But when you act and look prepared and you don't put yourself into situations where you could be a victim, that's how you keep yourself safe. And then, like I said, when you learn to take care of your own safety and then have the empathy to care about those around you, that's how we make a difference. You know, we've seen 
events happen, like I said, on subway stations, in subway cars, in restaurants, in grocery mm-hmm. stores, at gas stations. And then what people do is they take out their phone and they film it. That's not what I do. And that's not what we encourage people to do in our program. We encourage them to figure out if you start to see something getting ready to happen, what would you do to, to stop it? Would you scream? Would you get somebody else's attention? Um, would you get their attention and tell them to run? Um, but it's all that part of the process. And, and you have to think through what you're going to do and then pre- be prepared to do it. And, and you can't do that without situation awareness. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up with the people people, you know, pulling out their phone and, and recording. I mean, you'll see these, uh, you know, people post like fights, br- brutal fights in, uh, in like high schools between kids and just all the other kids are just standing around with their phones recording and nobody's jumping in to break it up or to, or to do anything. Just hard to even wrap my mind around h- how that even happens. Um, but well, a, a big part of it today goes back to those 10 critical personal skills that I talked about. Mm-hmm. Without those 10 critical personal skills, you don't know how to have conversations with other people. You don't know how to make sure you don't escalate situations and you don't know how to de-escalate situations. So that means that you now solve disputes with anger and violence. And that's what we've seen. There's been about a 350% rise in people resolving differences through anger and violence instead of through conversation. So what what has, let's dig into that for, for a minute here. What has changed over time, do you think, in the past two or three decades where it seems like, you know, more people now are, you know, more quick to anger and violence than maybe they were a decade ago. Well, it goes back to the 10 critical personal skills that I talked about. Mm -hmm. These started decaying about 30 or 40 years ago. Um, Parents stopped teaching it to their kids and they expected their kids to learn these 10 critical personal skills in school they're not taught in school. Then, then they expected them to be learned in college. They're not learned in college. And now we're actually to a point where businesses are actually having to bring programs in to teach critical skill, personal skill, soft skill development to their employees so that they can be successful. Um, that's a big part of the problem. And like I said, when, when you don't have these skills, when you don't understand that it's okay for you and I to have a different perspective and have a conversation about it, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's part of being, you know, in the greatest country on the planet. Um, that's what our republic is founded on. But people have gotten to the point now where if your truth isn't my truth, then I don't like you and I'm going to do everything I can to beat you down and potentially, you know, get in, into violence with you. Yeah. Um, and, but a big part of that is because people don't have these 10 critical skills. Unfortunately, the statistic says that about 92% of college graduates leave college without having these skills well, de- well developed today. Um, and that is just a scary statistic. And that's, so that's what I'm focused on. Instead of complaining about it, let's empower people with these skills. Let's empower parents with this mm-hmm. skill. So, you know, if they don't have it, they can learn it. If they have it, they can learn how to make sure their kids learn it so that 10 or 15 years from now, we don't have the, the problem that we're seeing today. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly a different world today than the world that I grew up in. I'm I'm 39 years old, but I mean if, if we even just back how much things have changed. I have a, a seven year old daughter now, and you know the the world that she's coming into is she's you know in first grade and, and she's you know learning to navigate this world. 
it's totally different than if I look back on, you know, when I was about the same age and, and the different things you're exposed to. I mean, just looking at like, you know, what age is, is right to get a, a kid an iPad or a phone to, because as soon as you do that, you're opening up a whole new world of, of influence to them where we're different, you know, different, uh, different influences and different things are, are coming at them that they have to learn how to how to navigate and deal with. And I, I really think just a lot of it's, – it's unfortunate because interpersonal skills, communication skills that people haven't been taught, now those same people are raising children and it's like compounding over time. Um, it's, it's really not a good situation, but – like you said, this isn't being taught in schools. It's not being taught in colleges. Um, it's it's going to have to really go down to the community level, and and uh, you know people take accountability for their own actions. Well, yeah, and it's not supposed to be taught in schools. Yeah, parents basically abdicated the responsibility, um, and then that's why we see now that there's parents whose it's kids actually can dangerous. Never do anything wrong. It's, it's kind of it's, it's dangerous <laughs> exactly. for it to be taught in schools. Yeah, and um, you know so parents need to take on that responsibility. So let me ask you a question. So do do your kids have any devices right now? The only device that my daughter has is the iPad that the school gave her in kindergarten. Okay. That's, that's it. Yeah. I talk to parents all the time that, you know, you've got to get your kids these devices so they can start learning what these tools are supposed to be about. And that's one of the key things is to make sure that they know it's not a tool and that you're not using it, especially as a parent, as a babysitting device. Because unfortunately Mm -hmm. today, the average is that our kids spend over 11 hours a day on these screens, which is just crazy, right? And that's another reason why there's no personal skill, 10 critical skill development, because there's no opportunity for them to practice those things. But then the other thing we talk to parents about is you need to check what your kids are looking at. Um, 92% of of kids under the age of 17 have seen pornography in our country today. Um, I had a, uh, in one of the programs that we taught, I had a bank uh, president who, he was already doing this before he took our program. And I've used this story now. He and his wife would check the device. They gave their kids devices at a certain age. They decided decided when that was going to be. They put Mm -hmm. some controls on that. But then there was also a time at night when they took them away. And when they took them away, they would look at what they were searching on the internet and what kind of texts and what kind of phone calls they were getting. And this bank president one night looked at the text that his son was getting and found out that his son was being bullied via text by other students at school. Mm-hmm. And he caught it early enough where he was now able to have conversations with his son, get him his son the help that he needs, and then also figure out what to do about that bullying Because like I said, our teenagers that are bullied are five times more likely to commit suicide today. Um, That's one of the reasons that and the pandemic, why the suicide rates for for kids under age 22 have gone through the roof roof over the last two years. So giving the kids these tools so that they can learn how to use them, it's part of our life. It's part of our culture. But make sure that they know how to use it as a tool, not as a device to keep them from being bored. And then be a parent and make sure that they know that you're going to check it. You're going to look at it. That's a deterrent, but it's also a way to teach responsibility to your kids. T- tell us a little bit about the uh, with with the Paratus Group. What, what the offerings you have are. You know, if, if someone's interested in uh, you know taking some of these these courses, what uh, 
what would they be be looking with time commitment wise and, and things like that? Yeah, I, so I travel around the United States and conduct boot camps where we have about an hour and a half where we teach what situational awareness is, what all the threats are, because most parents have no idea all the threats that are out there today and that they're in their they're in their backyard to include human trafficking. Um, they're unaware of the 10 critical skills that they and their kids need to, le- to, to learn and develop. And then they need to figure and be educated on how you actually have to put some time in and learn and develop this program. Then we put them through a 90-day micro e-learning program where they get about four minutes of content a day because we want to develop the habits and we want to develop the behaviors and we want to educate them and inform them of the threats that are going on out there and how the learning and development of situation awareness enables them and empowers them to keep those things from happening to their kids. And then for the next nine months after that 90 days, they still get one piece of content a week. Again, no more than four or five minutes a day because we don't need to take a lot of time to reinforce the habits and the behaviors and to educate them on the threats that are going on. But we need to have a program in place because this is a perishable skill. If it's not something that is reminded about practicing your process and those types of things, you're very susceptible to taking on a, a, a bad habit and forgetting about everything that you learn. So we're very, mm-hmm. very focused on having a program where we're consistently reinforcing the practicing of, of situational awareness. So, so this next question is something that I asked, often ask my guests who have either written a book or um, you know, have, have an expansive uh, expertise to talk about. And that is, is there anything that I didn't ask you, um, which is something that, that you hoped you had a chance to talk about today? Um, or if I did ask you everything, um, just something to, uh, to reinforce uh, before I let you go. Just I would like to say to all the listeners, if you're a business owner, if you're a leader in a, in an administrator in a school or a church, um, or you are part of a parent organization, reach out to the Paradis Group so we can come and, and have an introductory program in your area so you can learn about the importance. And I love the questions you asked earlier about why it's important to do this. Learn what the threats are. Learn that it's possible to develop the skills necessary to be able to prevent a lot of the bad things from happening. Take back the responsibility for your own communities. Um, and then we as a community come together and we protect our kids, protect our community, and we help our, our emergency responders. And when we become more prepared, it's much more likely that our republic is going, is going to survive the way that it has and the way that we all want it to. One last question. How can people find you? How can they find the Paradis Group and uh, anything else, your social media or any other contact information? Yeah, so it's uh, P-A-R-A-T-U-S dot group, and it's, that's the website, www.paradis.group. We have a contact uh, page on the website, so you can reach out to me that way. Or they can send me a direct email at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at Paradis.group, and that's P-A-R-A-T-U-S dot group. Paradis. I keep mispronouncing that. I apologize for that. But Brian, I really want to thank you for, uh, for coming on the show and spending some time with my audience today. Hey, thank you very much. Looking forward to a great 2023. All right. Thank you. All right. Hope you enjoyed my interview with Brian Searcy. Uh, brings a wealth of knowledge to the table on situ- situational awareness, preparedness, and really just understanding um, the changing landscape 
in this world. We talked about it a little bit, how a lot of these skills, a lot of these interpersonal skills, communication skills have deteriorated over the past few decades. And, you know, we're seeing this compounding effect where people who grew up and don't have these skills now are having children and they're definitely not getting these skills. They're trying to rely on someone else to teach their teach their kids how to how to de-escalate, teach their kids how to reason, teach their kids how to think critically. Um, so it's it's unfortunate. But you know, I like what Brian is doing as he is actually trying to provide a service to help people, uh, you know, to foster these skills and to share them with their families, with their loved ones, with their community. So Love his mission, love what he's doing. Definitely check him out. I'll have links to everything he talked about on the show notes page today. Before I let you go, I do want to remind you, I talked about at the top of the show, I talked about the Lions of Liberty Pride. Of course, you can join that by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Or if you don't like Patreon, you can go join us on Locals. It's lionsofliberty.locals.com. Join us there. All the same stuff, all the same content, all the same great people, great people being myself and Brian. And uh, yeah, check us out. Like I said, we're growing in 2023. We got big plans for what is coming for Lions of Liberty, and we're excited for you to be a part of it. Share the show, share all of our shows, subscribe to all of our feeds. We have this main feed, the Lions of Liberty Network feed. We have my Finding Freedom solo feed, and Brian has his Mean Age Daydream solo feed. Share the feeds, give us some uh, nice five star ratings and reviews. Uh, you've no idea what that does for the old algorithm. Gets it ticking, man. Gets it kicking and thriving. So please do that if you haven't. And do that for any podcast you listen to. Support your podcasters. Support your local podcasters, guys. They do this stuff for most people. Make no money off of it. We've been lucky to uh, to scrape some pennies together. But uh, yeah. 2023. Let's make it happen, guys. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>